Welcome to Encouraging Change, a podcast that explores the relationship between motivational interviewing and peer recovery support. Your hosts, Laura Saunders and Chris Kelly, will engage in a conversation that combines their professions and passions, the spirit of motivational interviewing, and the power of peer support. Laura is a Wisconsin State Project Manager for the Great Lakes ATTC, MHTTC, and PTTC, and a seasoned motivational interviewing trainer. Chris is a project manager for the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence and an expert on peer recovery support services. So thank you for joining us today and enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 13, Becoming More Reflective and Competent in Your Practice. Today, we have our usual Chris Kelly with us, and we also are bringing back our guest, Scott Caldwell, who was with us in episode 11. If you remember, Scott is from the Wisconsin Department of Health Services. He's a consultant in the Bureau of Prevention, Treatment, and Recovery, and we are thrilled to have you with us once again today, Scott. Welcome. It's great to be back, you too. This is actually our final episode, and we're going to be talking about, like Laura said, becoming more reflective and competent in our practice. And so something I learned about in the last three years was something called the MIGHTY. To be honest, I don't know what the acronym stands for, so I'm going to have you tell us about that. But through working and collaborating and attending a lot of Laura's trainings, I learned that there is a way that we can measure our skills in motivational interviewing. Um, not only did I was I just thrilled about this because it was like, I think I'm doing okay, but I had no, no way of knowing. I keep learning all these skills. I keep attending all these courses. I think I'm applying it, but I don't know for sure. And then Laura comes along and says, I'm gonna tell you about the mighty. And it literally was a mind blowing moment. So I'm going to just let you unleash and tell us all about the Mighty and its purpose and your thoughts about it. Well, it's such an important question, which is really at the core, how do people develop and grow as professionals? And the core of that is learning. And if we think about practice as usual for professionals in health and human services, uh, regardless of, you know, whether you're a peer support professional or a social worker professional or a professional counselor, the way our professional development usually goes is we go to a training, we go to a lot of training, and we have a supervisor, and the supervisor checks in with us and asks us how things are going. And we'll talk about our practice. And we talk about our practice through our self-report, what we believe to be true. And this is kind of the, the heart of how we roll in the, the way professional development has been set up for a long time. And unfortunately, it could not be more ineffective than the way it's currently set up. So in episode 11, uh, excuse me, episode 10, we talked about uh, the evidence base of motivational interviewing. One of the neat things about motivational interviewing is that 
we increasingly have evidence and research on how people learn it. And I think there's some real nuggets of wisdom in that research that are readily applied to thinking more broadly about professional growth and development. So one of the things that research says in motivational interviewing as an evidence-based practice is that a two-day training is a good start to learning, but it's not at all sufficient to really getting good at those aura skills that we were talking about. Uh, the second insight is that professionals, again, whether you're a peer supporter or a social worker or a professional counselor, we're not very accurate at assessing our own practice. So when we self-report our practice, it, it's really, really riddled with a lot of bias. Mm -hmm. And in the expected way, we tend to overestimate our skills. And, you know, I've never met anyone in human services who said, I'm not a very good listener. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so self-report is not very reliable. It's not very accurate. And then here, here's the, I think, the biggest insight, which is what are the conditions for the most powerful, effective growth and professional development? And it's three really big things. And you mentioned one of them. And that is having a fidelity review, a review of practice that's based on a standardized instrument. And the MITE stands for the Motivational Interviewing Treatment Integrity Instrument. And it's one of a couple of dozen fidelity instruments for assessing practitioner motivational interviewing practice. Um, but the premise of that is direct observation. So having a supervisor directly observe practice or having a peer directly observe practice or having a coach directly observe practice and then using kind of a structured way of observing like, you know, that, that fidelity instrument to assess practice. And then the third component, so direct observation, fidelity review, the third component is performance-based feedback. And that feedback can really be eye-opening for people. Like, oh my gosh, I am not listening like I thought I was. Or I didn't offer any affirmations in that <laughs> encounter. And yet I see myself as a very strength-based person. So it really gets people thinking about their practice with that performance-based feedback. And then really there's one more component, there's a fourth component, and that's what do you do with the feedback practice, deliberate practice, coaching, supervision, and that sort of thing. So when I lay out those four components of really good, powerful professional development, what do you, what do you see with the peer support field, Chris? Yeah, it's kind of what we touched on, I think throughout a lot of our episodes is timing. So there's, again, just not enough time in the day. And from what I've learned, though, is the value and importance of this. And so again, there's kind of a tension between, oh, I already feel like I'm doing so much, I don't have enough time in my work, you know, during my workday to do this. And yet, I know now from what I've learned is how much more effectual it makes us. One of the things that came up 
for me, when we talk about direct observation is um, because it's not, I don't believe it's commonplace in the, in the peer field that it can come across as punitive. And, and then too, I think we touched on this kind of performance-based anxiety, like, oh, I know this session's being recorded and all my thinking just goes out the window because I'm, I suddenly am really intentionally trying to use this skill set, right? I know from experience, it gets easier with practice. So it does, it does. And you have to trust the process, but those would be a couple of things that I think would be maybe a little resistance from the field saying, ah, I, I don't know, I don't have time to use this. And my, how is my peer staff going to respond when I say, well, I'm going to start observing your practice? You know, one of the things that I've heard about that, Chris, is that, you know, when we look at behavioral health versus physical health, physical health has made like if you take like surgery as an example and you think about how fast and and amazing the field of surgery moves part of why surgery moves so quickly is because surgeons are observed mm -hmm. constantly they're never they don't say i can only do surgery if all you people aren't observing me if if everyone le i can only do this what the magic only happens when I'm alone in the room with the person. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly getting observed, you're getting feedback, people are noticing what you're doing and able to give you feedback. Plus, you do have a feedback loop, right, of the person either gets better or they don't. And so it, in behavioral health, we owe it to ourselves. And we certainly owe it to the people we serve to get rid of this black box thing like oh this the magic can only happen when you know when the curtain is pulled mm -hmm. and allow other people in to help us improve our practice it's not punitive it's normal it's what our clients deserve and it's what we deserve mm -hmm. to, to be our very best it doesn't when, happen just in a vacuum but I think some of that goes back to too we have to we do, we have to step back from the situation and even say, well, if that was my loved one in the room with that peer, would I want them to have a really solid practice and even better, a really solid practice based on evidence and even better, a supervised practice where they're supported and encouraged and given the tools to do the best possible job that they can. Yeah, because effective peer support is underscored by a really robust, complex set of skills and way of being with people. And to develop competency in those skills doesn't just magically happen. It really requires the work of learning any complex skill set. And so, you know, uh, medicine. Uh, and surgery is one example. Another example is learning a, um, a musical instrument. You know, like if you wanted to learn piano and you wanted to hire a piano teacher, you would never say to the piano teacher, well, I want to learn piano, but don't listen to me play. <laughs> you know, uh, same with sports, you know, like learning um, tennis, learning how to hit a tennis ball. You wouldn't say to your coach, hey, don't watch me play. So it's the same in human service work where, and for peer support specialists, they are 
the instrument of their craft. They are the intervention. And so it really matters how peer support specialists get good at their craft, develop competency, and really grow as professionals. But back to the point about direct observation of practice, because I think this is where it's some real advocacy is, is needed, I think, because we can't put the burden of professional development, in my opinion, on individual practitioners. That this is where organizations really need to step up and say, we are going to redesign how we do professional development. And we're gonna, instead of sending everybody to training and coming back, we're, we're gonna do learning in-house and we're gonna have our supervisors trained on how to do direct observation of practice. We're gonna set up policies and procedures for making it easy, as easy as possible for employees to do that. And we're gonna be really clear about the why we're doing it. It's not for punishment. It's not for gotcha. It's for using work samples of practice and fidelity reviews to increase competency of practice and growing uh, the, the workforce, growing our employees professionally. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Well, just even in that description, I was like, oh, I just need to cut that out as a sound bite and send it around because, um, you know, when it comes down to it, what I hear is, again, we might do some, a little bit of a heavy lift up front, but everything becomes this better oiled machine, this well oiled machine, and everyone feels supported. And it is a culture shift in an organization. If, if you're running business as usual, everybody practices behind closed doors, there is no direct observation, there's not feedback. And like you said, Scott, we, of course, our staff is trained, we attend X amount of trainings per year, but I see it again and again and again, there's no measure of implementation. Bottom line is, um, we often want more funding so we can serve more people. Or we want more funding so we can pay people a livable wage. We want more funding so we can have more programs. And one of the best ways to get more funding is to have positive outcomes. May I share a brief observation? Mm -hmm. In the professional development that I've been a part of where direct observation of practice is included with that performance-based feedback, the participants of that learning say that that was the single most important effective element of the learning process. And so even though at the very beginning, there's all that nervousness <laughs> for direct, you know, being observed, once, once professionals break that ice, they, uh, so many people see the value of it for real meaningful growth and professional development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're coming up on the end of our time. I feel like we could talk for hours about this and I love it. Could you just give some information of where people might find more information or where, where can we send them that they might be able to find more information on some of the things we discussed? I, I think that when we're talking about direct observation of practice and feedback, these are some of the elements of 
implementation. And so if we think about a really useful national resource for implementation, I would suggest the National Implementation Research Network. And that website will have all kinds of useful resources for thinking about direct observation of practice, fidelity reviews, how do you know you're actually delivering in the practice as it's intended. It will have descriptions about really powerful supervision and coaching, but also um, how to track that data, how to track fidelity data to improve what you're doing as an organization, to help your practitioners, help your employees develop their competency in that particular practice, whether it's peer support, motivational interviewing, or whatever practice is being Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be remiss to not mention that you can always reach out to Laura and I. We're both with the Great Lakes Addiction Technology Transfer Center, and we're actually situated within the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where we facilitate the NIATEX Change Leader Academy, which is another process improvement tool that can be used within organizations when you're about to implement a big change like direct observation practices. So definitely there's some great resources there. And again, Scott, we just really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to engaging and collaborating with you in new and creative ways. Thanks for having me, you too. This podcast is sponsored by the Great Lakes ATTC, MHTTC, and PTTC, which are funded through cooperative agreements with SAMHSA. The opinions expressed in this recording are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position of SAMHSA or DHHS. Thank you again for joining us on the Encouraging Change podcast. If you are a new listener, please follow us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe to the Great Lakes current YouTube channel to access many more free products and resources just like this. Thank you.